Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So uh, a couple days ago, I was hanging out, sitting on the couch, and uh, my six-year-old son, Abram, he, he came in and he plopped down next to me. He said, hey, Dad. Hey, buddy. And uh, he looked me right in the eye. And with his cute little six-year-old voice, he said, give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, somebody has been learning about the origins of our country for sure. Uh, But liberty, and it's such a precious thing, isn't it? Man, the freedom uh, that we we have. Patrick Henry, the one who who uttered those words, he, he understood the value of liberty, how it is such a precious thing. That, you know, the ability to live our lives freely. That's what liberty is. And as Christians, and we have so much freedom. We have so much liberty, don't we? The Bible says who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. That's such good news. We're free from sin. We're free from death. We're free from the law. We're free to love. We're free to live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have freedom to enjoy Uh, all that the Lord has blessed us with. But what do we do as Christians when our liberties become a point of contention? What do we do as Christians when our liberties put us at odds with other believers? What do we do, uh, you know, when there's trouble because of our liberties? And really, the first part of Romans chapter 14 deals with the law of liberty. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, remember, the, the church, uh, the early church, just like the church today, is a very diverse place. Jews and Gentiles, young and old, rich and poor, those who are more mature in the faith, those who are just babies in the faith, uh, a big mix of people. And within that diversity, boy, contention uh, kind of rose to the surface. Troubles, disputes. Disputes regarding liberties. Disputes regarding our personal freedoms in the Lord. And primarily, as we looked at last week, just a a quick refresher, the the two things, the two issues that really bubbled to the surface were the issues of eating meats and the issue of celebrating special days. Uh, There were those who uh, felt very convicted about the eating of meat. More than likely, the, the, sacrifice, uh, the meat that was sacrificed to idols we see in Corinthians, and we won't get into that too much this morning. Uh, the important thing to know is that there was a conviction there. It said, man, it, it's wrong for us as Christians to be eating meat. And so they ate only vegetables. And to that, I say, congratulations, good for you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem arose when they began putting a trip on the other Christians who were enjoying their ribeyes. And uh, there was this judgment that was taking place amongst Christians in the body of Christ that had to do with personal liberty. And so Paul says, hey, listen, we ought not to be doing that. We're not to be judging one another concerning these things. We're not to be putting burdens and trips on each other uh, concerning these things. Back off, Paul told us, uh, when it comes to personal conviction regarding uh, non-essential doctrines. And again, before we get going this morning, I want to preface this discussion 
with uh, the reality that we're talking about non-essential doctrine. Uh, this whole discussion is under the umbrella of non-essential doctrine. Non-essential doctrine. Again, things like baptism. Not whether or not we should be baptized. The Bible clearly says that we should be baptized. But the mode of baptism, the age of baptism, those are things that we like to argue about. Boy, how old do you have to be? And can it be a sprinkler? Can it be a dunk? Do you have to go forwards? Do you have to go backwards? Uh, those are all non-issues. How leadership is structured in a, a church, uh, you know, eschatology, uh, what we believe, uh, you know, when, we, when will the church be raptured? Before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the All of these things are considered non-essential doctrines. Why? It's not because they're not important, like we discussed last week. It's because they are not life and death. They are not a matter of salvation. So that is what Paul is talking about when he says, hey, don't judge each other on these issues. He's talking about non-essential issues. He's not talking about the essentials. What are some examples of essential doctrines that we hold to as Christians? Well, the deity of Jesus is right there at the top of the list, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that we are saved by grace. We're saved by faith, and that's it alone. No works can we do. We're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. Those things we don't budge on. Why? They're essential. They are a matter of life and death. So the issues that Paul is dealing with here, they're non-essential doctrines. Uh, what, what things they were eating and what things or what uh, days they were uh, celebrating and, and, and doing certain things. And Paul's whole point, as we kind of finished up our study last week, was really, you have no right to judge another in these specific areas because we don't answer to each other. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad that I don't answer to you and that, that you don't answer to me, but that we all answer to who? Jesus. He is our judge. We will all stand before him. We will all give an account someday, Christian and unchristian alike. And uh, if that freaks you out, check out last week's teaching, and we dive into the difference between the great white throne judgment and the, the judgment seat of, of Christ, the Bema seat judgment. But we're all going to give an account before the Lord. And so Paul says, hey, don't do that. Now, if Romans chapter 14 just ended there, it would kind of give the impression that we're just to leave each other alone. To kind of live and let live and, uh, you know, just, just every man for himself. But is that how the church is to operate? Is that how the body of Christ is? Are we to just uh, let the weaker brother remain weak? The weaker sister remain weak? Are, are we to just let people continue wandering off into their sin? Of course not. And so the first part of chapter 14 deals with the law of liberty. Boy, and that, that same idea continues through the rest of chapter 14, but the focus changes. It's no longer a master-servant relationship where we're judging one another and we'll all answer to God, but now Paul changes his focus now to a brother-brother approach to where we, how are we to interact as brothers? We are not to judge, but we are also, as we'll see, to edify, to build up in the faith, to encourage each other, uh, to, to bear each other's burdens. We're to help each other grow and mature in the faith. And so that's what we're going to get into a little bit this morning, is now this part to where we, we help each other out and, and we edify one another. And so we left off in chapter 14 and verse 14, and that's where we'll pick up this morning. Verse 14 of chapter 14 the book of Romans. Paul says, I know and am convinced 
by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So Paul starts off this section. He's going to lay some, some truth on us. But I really love that as Paul is wrestling this out, as Paul is teaching us, as he's kind of deciding what is right or wrong with this particular issue of judging and how we interact with each other, that he, he pauses for a moment. And he says, listen, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus. See, Paul is saying, this whole thing that I'm teaching the early church that he's now teaching us thousands of years later, he says, this is not my idea. This isn't something that I came up with. This isn't something that I heard from my friends or in the paper. You see, truth, truth, real truth is not a product of, you know, the things that we hear our friends say necessarily or the things that we hear on the news or the things that we see on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or whatever it is. Uh, where do we derive our truth? It's from the Lord. It's from his word. Uh, and, and Paul makes that clear. He says, man, this is something I'm convinced of by the Lord Jesus. Such a good lesson for us. Because there are many so-called quote-unquote truths that we might be tempted to build our lives upon that really aren't truth. They sound very convincing, but it begs the question, where do the ideologies that we build our lives originate? Like, what are we building our lives upon? What is the truth that we're building our lives on, and where does it come from? And Paul says, hey, for me, and that truth, it has to come from Jesus. When I'm determining the rightness or the wrongness in any given situation, man, what is our compass? What is our true north? It's got to be God's word. If it's anything other than God's word, man, we're going to be completely misled. We're going to be deceived. I was reading an article this week uh, about uh, an article that came out in Cosmopolitan magazine. And I don't know why this surprises me, but I was taken back. There was an article in Cosmopolitan magazine that was celebrating uh, abortion. And not just celebrating abortion, but celebrating a satanic ritual uh, that deals with uh, abortion. And they were promoting this, this, this whole ritual that takes place at this, they call it Samuel Alito's Mom's Satan Clinic. And you say, oh man, this is crazy. How would anybody even go into this place? But the Cosmopolitan is promoting and celebrating this ritual whereby as a woman goes in for abortion, she gets her, her pills and she takes the pill and she looks in the mirror and she says, uh, you know, this is my body, this is my blood, by my will, this will be done. You say, oh my goodness, that is so demonic. It is demonic parody of communion. And, and you say, well, how could anybody fall into that trap? And then in this Cosmopolitan article, there are testimonies of women who have gone through with this satanic ritual, sacrificing their kids to Satan for the sake of their own will, and uh, one lady said, man, I, I don't, I'm not part of the satanic temple, whatever you want to call it. I don't worship Satan. But boy, this message of, you know, this being my body and my life and my way, it just resonated with me. And I felt so much freedom. And you say, man, be careful what you build your life on. 
Be careful. Where is our truth coming from? And I'll tell you this morning that the only true north, the only source of real truth is the scripture. Right? And that's greatly debated, and there are people who would call me bigot and a liar this morning, but I'm telling you what, in a, in a society that says truth is relative, the truth is subjective, I'm here to tell you that truth is absolute. It's black and white. It's right and wrong. And the Bible spells it out for us. Uh, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Uh, Psalm 119 says, thy word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Jesus himself, he warned us. He taught us a parable about what we build our lives on. And Jesus there in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, he said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If you are building your life this morning on any other truth than God's word, you are headed for a disaster, and it's a guarantee. Man, let us be wise. Let us not be duped. Let us not fall into the trap of building our lives on falsehoods, but building our lives on the truth of God's word. So Paul says, listen, I'm convinced of this in Jesus. Paul, you're convinced of what? He's convinced that there is nothing in itself that is unclean. That's what he goes on to say. That there is nothing unclean uh, of itself. Now, now, what is Paul saying here? Because certainly, you know, there's got to be things that are just unclean within itself. Paul's saying there's nothing unclean in itself. Uh, he, he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are, are beneficial. Not all things build up. So, so what is Paul saying here? Remember that this discussion is happening under the umbrella of non-essential doctrine, right? So you take, example, uh, the issue of, of meat, right? There's nothing inherently evil about the meat, right? There's no food that's unclean in and of itself. There's no day that's unclean in and of itself. And really, there's no person that's unclean in and of himself. That, that's what Peter learned, remember? When Peter was there at Simon the Tanner's house, there in Acts chapter 10, we studied through this not too long ago, and there was Peter on the roof, and he had this vision. Remember the vision? The blanket came down, and it was filled with unclean foods. And uh, God told Peter, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, Lord. I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And God said, don't call unclean that which I have called clean. Now, that had much less to do with dietary structure and law than it did with the Gentiles that Peter was getting ready to go and preach the word to. But Paul is right. There, there's nothing that's unclean of itself, uh, it, it's what something does to a person that makes it clean or, or unclean. It's what something does to a person that determines its quality. Again, there's nothing uh, intrinsically wrong with pork chops. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with bacon or with, with pie. <laughs> there, there's nothing, and we're going to get controversial now, there's nothing that's unclean about alcohol. There's nothing that's unclean uh, about tobacco spiritually. You see, one man is able to partake of his liberty and his freedom, and he's absolutely fine. It doesn't hinder him. It doesn't trip him up uh, one bit. He can eat a slice of pie and be satisfied. He can have uh, one drink, and he's able to stop there. 
He can enjoy a cigar. He can enjoy a, a, a pipe. He can enjoy a smoke, and, and it's not a hindrance to him. There's no guilty conscience whatsoever. But by the same token, there's another man who, who may be tempted in those things, might have a, a guilty conscience in those things. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me because smoking was really the, this thing. And I'm not encouraging people to smoke. Don't misunderstand me. Now, Pastor Jeremy said I could smoke and drink. Woo! Come to Siskiyou Christian. That is not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that, you know, the church made the, the issue of tobacco like a, a matter of salvation. That is in error. The Bible does not say that. We have to be careful uh, of these things, and that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, you know, some of the greatest Bible teachers that there ever were smoked. Spurgeon smoked cigars. Uh, you know, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he smoked a pipe. And for them, boy, it was okay. There was no conviction. They were free to do it. Now, I wish that I was in their shoes. I wish that there was no conviction because I love Copenhagen. It's great. There's, it's just something I enjoy the taste of. It's wonderful. There's nothing that is quite as enjoyable as a smoke and a black coffee in the morning. It's a great thing. But for me, there's conviction. Uh, I don't have that liberty in my life. If I were to engage in that, I would be walking in sin because there's conviction in my life. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't violate your conscience. Right? For, for some men, it, it, it's not a big deal. For others, it is a big deal. And if you have a guilty conscience about it, then it is a sin for you. And, and you can't do this. And I've tried to do it with smoking. I've said, well, you know, it's technically not a sin, Lord. You know that, right? I mean, yeah, it's my liberty. But it's not my liberty because there's conviction. And Paul says, if you violate your conscience in that area, then you are walking in sin. But see, this whole passage isn't about necessarily our own conviction. It's not about how something affects me or doesn't affect me. It's how it affects other people, right? That's what this whole section is about. And the question that Paul would have us to ask ourselves this morning is how does this liberty in my life affect my brother? How does this liberty in my life affect my sister? We're to ask ourselves, is this thing that I'm engaged in, is it going to trip up those around me or is it going to build up those around me? And the interesting thing, you know, Spurgeon, he was a smoker of cigars, and he let it be known. But one day he was there in his study, puffing on a big old fat stogie, doing his studies, and he had the paper nearby, and he grabbed the paper. And he opened the paper, and there's a big two-page ad for the cigar company that he smoked, his brand. And it said, the cigar that Charles Haddon Spurgeon smokes. And that was the day he quit smoking cigars. He said, I don't want to trip people up and make it like I'm condoning this thing that would. And so that's, that's where it is. Uh, we're not to, to trip each other up in our liberties, not to cause them to, to stumble. And it is one of the, the chief reasons that I do not drink alcohol. It's not because I don't enjoy alcohol. It's not because alcohol is forbidden. Drunkenness is forbidden. And be careful, Christian, as you walk in that liberty and understand that the drinks that we enjoy today are bigger and they're stronger than they were then. Drunkenness is something that we should not uh, move into. But alcohol is not a sin. Uh, it's not something I struggle with. But there are those who I love, mainly the congregation. There's people in my life, my children, my family. I don't know what their predisposition to alcohol might be. 
And for me, that's my conviction. It's just not uh, important to me enough to engage in that liberty. And so we have to be careful. If I was out at a restaurant and, uh, you know, I was having a beer, or if I was at the store and I, you know, I, I slapped a, a six or a Guinness on the conveyor belt and said, hey, Pastor Jeremy. Like, oh, man. And, and what if they wrestle? So practically, how, how can we do this? It doesn't mean that you can't drink, but you're having somebody over to your house for, for, for lunch or for dinner. Be sensitive to those things. Christian, before you offer the drink, make sure you understand, man, if this brother or sister wrestles with it, you don't want to be in that place where you encourage them to sin, where you uh, contributed to a a stumble in their lives. The Bible tells us that we are to be looking out not only for our own interests really at all, but for the interests of others, that in humility we are to esteem others higher than ourselves, better than than we are. And so that's what what it's all about. Uh, you know, make sure that we're not tripping people up because when we do, then we're grieving people. That's what Paul says. If you're grieving your brother with your liberty, what does it mean to grieve a brother with our liberty? It means to, to cause pain, to cause distress, to cause them to, 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 to be tempted to sin. Paul says you're no longer walking in love. And that was the whole thing. We just talked about this not too long ago, that Paul says we are to walk in love. That when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we fulfill the whole law. The whole Bible is fulfilled in that. Because when we love each other, we won't be doing uh, things to harm each other. Um, and so Paul says, man, don't destroy uh, with your liberty the one whom Jesus died for. And destroy means one's spiritual growth. Don't, don't mess them up. Don't trip them up. Don't hurt them. Uh, Paul continues on in verse 16. Uh, and he says, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So again, our liberty is such a wonderful thing. But don't let this wonderful thing in our lives be spoken of as evil to those who are on the outside looking in. Uh, In in other words, uh, you know, when the world looks in upon the church, what is one of the main metrics that they use to kind of judge the authenticity of what's going on inside these four walls? When you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I go to this church, when people are observing, what what do they look to to see if it's a genuine thing? They look to see how we treat each other. And are they loving each other? Are they building each other up? Are they looking out for each other? And sadly, what we so often see is not churches looking out for each other, but churches endlessly debating about non-essential issues, tearing each other down and and, and bickering about things, spending our energy on things that really uh, don't matter. Uh, I was reading a a Twitter uh, post, thread, whatever you call it. I guess it's X now, not Twitter. Thank you, Elon, for ever changing that. Uh, I like it when it was Twitter. But anyways, there's this Twitter thread that, that, you know, there's people chiming in with real-life examples of things that had caused their church to split. Like, people are saying, oh, this is what caused my church to split. This is what caused my church to split. And so here, here's some of these things. Uh, one church split because they had a debate over the length of the pastor's beard, the worship pastor's beard. So, oh, you know, I mean, at what point does it go from, you know, logger to hipster to, you know, ZZ Top? I mean, there's a debate in there where some are unholy and some are okay. And so they split about that. Uh, another one uh, chimed in and said, you know, there's a church split because part of the congregation wanted 
cran grape juice for communion, and the other wanted Concord grape juice for communion, and that was, that was too much. Imagine, like, yeah, come to our church. We're the ones who have the liberty to drink cran grape. Like, we're not like those stuffy grape juice people. Uh, then there was, oh, the dispute of coffee, right? There was literally the church divided on Folgers and Starbucks. Uh, I, 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 yeah. Uh, this one, there was a church that was divided because somebody brought deviled eggs to the church potluck. And so there was those that were defending deviled eggs and those that say, how could we? Uh, there's the word devil in the name. Certainly they are not appropriate to have at a church potluck. And this last one, I, I mean, I, I'll let you be the judge. There was a church that split because they were arguing over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the ladies' room. I'll tell you what, you just go ahead and leave that church. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Ladies, you deserve privacy when you're using it. I don't know why that was a debate at all. But there's so many things that, you know, uh, we, we just argue about to the point of division. And then all of a sudden, those things that were once vibrant and alive begin to die. It reminds me of the family from New York who moved out west to buy a cattle ranch so that they could uh, raise some beef. And seven, eight, nine months goes by, and one of their friends from New York flew out west to see how their cattle ranch was going. He said, hey, how are you guys doing? So what did you end up naming the ranch? And uh, this is what the husband said. He said, I wanted to name our ranch the Bar J Ranch. But my wife, she thought Susie Q Ranch was more appropriate. One of our sons, however, wanted to name the ranch the Flying W Ranch. And my youngest son thought that the Lazy Y Ranch was the best. So we called our ranch the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y Ranch. And so the, the, the visitors said, well, man, that, that's great. It's kind of an awkward name, but where are all your cows on this cattle ranch? He said, oh, that's the thing. They didn't survive the branding. <laughs> <laughs> so we can be really so focused on things that are not important that, again, we lose the big picture and we begin to cause harm. And Paul here says the, the kingdom of God, it's not about food and drink. Those aren't, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. All these things that we bicker about and split about and Folgers and the color of the carpet and, and all the rest, that is not what the kingdom of God is about. This is what we're involved in. The kingdom of heaven, of God, being, being citizens of heaven, belonging to the Lord Jesus. It's more than what we eat and drink. Paul goes on to tell us it, it's about what? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Remember in those disputes that we are all righteous. Not in that, oh, I'm righteous. I'm amazing. You guys know how amazing I am. I'm just righteous. I'm not righteous in, uh, of my own uh, self, my own accord, but we are all righteous because we have an imputed righteous. We're righteous because Jesus' righteousness has been transferred by faith to us. We all have the Holy Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of those things are present when we're like, can you believe that they smoke cigarettes? Get them out of the church. That's unholy. That is not what the Lord has called us uh, to live. The kingdom of God is more than what we eat and, and, and what we drink. Verse 19, Paul continues, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the works of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with Offense. Again, Paul's reiterating that we ought not stumble our brother and that we ought not violate our conscience. 
But he says, therefore, let us pursue the things which lead to peace. Really, the things that lead to, to unity and to love. What, or I should say when, do you know when it is that the body of Christ is most unified? When are we as a church body uh, walking in unity above all other times? It's when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. See, when we come into this place and we're worried about what, you know, he's doing or she's doing, and we've got this, you know, hill that we want to die on, on these non-essential doctrines, man, our eyes are not on Jesus. But when our eyes are on Jesus, boy, there's a whole different perspective that we have. We're all in tune, not to each other, but we're in tune with the Lord, which brings unity. Uh, A.W. Tozer, another awesome Bible teacher, he says, uh, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to one another, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. I love that. And we're to strive for fellowship. We're to strive for peace. Pursue it, Paul says. But the main way we pursue unity and peace is just by pursuing Jesus. Uh, we're to pursue that, that commonality. We're not to focus on the thing that divides, but we're to focus on the thing that unites. And the thing that unites us is Jesus. And that's important to remember because there's lots of talk these days about unity. Unity, unity, unity. And, and, you know, the Pope of the Catholic Church would say, we're all to be united. Uh, the Christian should be united with the Muslim, should be united with the Buddha. That is not what the Bible and Paul is talking about when it comes to unity. And I love what Spurgeon says about this. He says, truth comes before unity because unity without truth is hazardous. We're not called to link ourselves to people who, who are not having the essential doctrines in place. Um, uh, that's not what it's about. But we're to pursue peace. Or to pursue unity. And we do that primarily as we just flat out seek Jesus and keep our eyes on him. And then Paul says, edify one another. Right? So what does it mean to edify? Edify means to, to teach, to uh, help each other grow, to, to build up, to look out for one another. That's what the body of Christ is to be about. Right? We don't let the weaker brother or sister just remain weak. We don't, we don't abandon them or write them off. Uh, we are to be making sure that as we are on this journey, as we are all pilgriming to uh, heaven, that nobody gets left behind, that we're building each other up and looking out for one another. And as we're going to talk about on Wednesday night, even bearing one another's burdens. But what does it look like to edify one another, to teach each other, to build each other up? Well, the, the, the weak must learn from the strong. The, the weak must put themselves in places of fellowship. The, 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 the weak must be willing to be taught. It means that the strong, the more mature Christian, must have a desire to disciple. Uh, it, it requires intentionality. It requires investment. It, it, it requires uh, honesty. And, and are those things in place in both of our lives? If you're the weaker, if you're the, 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 the new Christian, are you putting yourself in a place where, man, you can be discipled by more mature Christians? Are you putting yourself in a place of fellowship that's protected and, and you can be built up? Uh, mature Christian, are you actively discipling somebody? 
walking them through, building them up. That's what the body uh, is all about. Uh, and Paul makes that, that clear here. And then these last few verses, 21 through 23, it says, It is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Again, don't cause your brother to stumble. Or that is uh, uh, offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So Paul here, again, he says, man, now don't put your, uh, don't force your opinions uh, really on other people. Uh, don't. Live out your own convictions. Also, don't violate your conscience. Again, he reiterates that. And now he adds, live by faith. Right? Is everything that you are doing in your Christian walk, is it a part of faith that you have in Jesus? Uh, and, and if it's not part of your faith, then you really, it shouldn't be a part of your life. Right? That's just the thing. We are to walk by faith. Uh, and so, really, uh, again, man, Paul just leaves us with some very uh, practical, helpful advice. Because as Christians, and church is a big part of our life, uh, we're called to, to not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Even more so, as you see uh, these days approach. That's what the Bible tells us. And a big part of church is the church, right? Church isn't the building. We've talked about this. We're the church. And there's so many issues that the church deals with today that if we, man, just took some time to, to walk out what Romans chapter 14 teaches us, man, it would be so much better for the body. It would be so much better for the world. It would be so much better for our witness. This is the way that we are, are called to live. We're to, to pursue unity and love and the edifying and the building up, not to judge one another. And so I'll leave us with this uh, last quote. This is from uh, Augustine. He says, in essentials, there must be unity. In non-essentials, there must be liberty. But in all things, there must be charity or, or love. See, our unity with each other, our love for one another, our ability to live sacrificially towards one another, and those things don't come naturally to us. They're dependent upon our unity with our Lord. They're dependent on the love that he has for us and the sacrifice that he made for us. And as we talked about when we opened up this section in Romans, really beginning in chapter 12, that deals with just practical Christian living, and these things that we pursue, we don't pursue to please God. We don't pursue that God might love us or that we might be accepted by God. The Lord loves you as much as he could possibly love you right now. You're accepted by the Lord as much as he could ever accept you right now, not based on your own merits, but based on the work of the cross. We don't pursue these things for the sake of appeasing or pleasing the Lord. We pursue these things because we love the Lord, because this is, is what he's called us to. And as we pursue them, we have to understand that they don't come naturally to our carnal nature. The fruit of my carnal nature is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of my carnal nature is all the other things. Uh, grumpiness, backbiting, you know, I won't go down the list. I'll, I'll spare you. But we're to live our lives 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we opened up this section, I, I talked about that, and I want to bring that back into focus before we close. Because, uh, you know, relational theology, right, the idea that all these things found in this section of practical Christian living, that all of our relationships horizontally are affected by our relationship with the Lord vertically. And that's just the way it is. When you find yourself being judgmental, when you find yourself being selfish, when you find yourself not loving or edifying or building up or looking out for the best interests of your brother or your sister. And at the heart of every issue, it's the issue of the heart. And let us be those who go to the Lord and make sure that that relationship is in order. And from that flows, man, all the rest, all the, all the good stuff. And so, man, our relationship with the Lord is, is key. As we seek to love each other, as we seek to build each other up, that's only possible because the Lord loved us, because the Lord died sacrificially for us. And again, that's why it's so important for us to, to take communion often. That is why Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, as often as you do this, as often as you have wine and bread, man, do this in remembrance of me. I need to be reminded regularly. You do too, of what the Lord has done for us. Man, that it's by his body as you take the cracker. And he was beaten and bruised and mocked that we might experience life, liberty, joy. And his blood was shed that our sins might be dealt with once and for all, that we would experience that freedom. And as we come to the table of communion, man, we can take those truths in again, remember those, that they would affect our lives. So Lord, as we come to the table this morning, I pray that we would do so with great gratitude, Lord, with great reverence for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, that we would be remembering, Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us and, and what that really means in our own lives. Lord, and that we would be refreshed and, and restored and, and recalibrated this morning at the table. But Lord, that it would also be a time of, of reflection Lord, where we examine our own hearts. Lord, that we would be surrendered, Lord, and uh, repentant to those things, those areas, Lord, that are amiss. But again, Lord, I thank you that we come to your table this morning, not on our own merit, but knowing, Lord, that we're unworthy. But we've been invited anyways because of what you did, because of the elements that we hold. And I pray, Lord, again, as we take in those uh, simple, practical, tangible things, cracker and juice, or that have such a, a huge implication, huge significance, Lord, by faith, they represent something so much more, Lord, that we would be impacted again this morning. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.